Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverance. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. Happy First Friday. I'm John Morales. Glenn Leverance is off today. Our thanks to Brooke Taylor for filling in with the news. Producer Sarah Tafoya is with us in studio and thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you on this first Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app as we get ready for the weekend and the third Sunday in Lent. Now keep in mind that Fridays in Lent are days of abstinence from meat. So if you are healthy between the ages of 14 and 59, uh, today is the day no meat. As always, uh, as we do every single Friday, let's remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ on this first Friday. Try to Pray the Stations of the Cross sometime today if you get a chance. It's a really good practice to do uh, here in Lent. Want to bring in uh, Sarah from the other side of the glass. Uh, good morning. Uh, happy First Friday. Happy March. Yeah, and actually it's a uh, dress in blue day today, John. You must not have known because I'm dressed in blue and you're in maroon. That's I, okay. I did not get the memo. Yeah, I, it's okay. It's okay. I'm actually wearing uh, uh, my son's school's uh, uh, parents' baseball hoodie uh, just to, to uh, support uh, my, my guy uh, with uh, his uh, uh, baseball playing here in the spring, so it's a, it's a, it's a fun way to, to to be a parent and a fan. Well, for today, I'm glad it's a hoodie because it is still chilly outside, as it is still winter despite the strange fluctuations in weather. It is for sure. Well, today is is March first, and. Uh, that means uh, I have been back to Relevant Radio. It's hard to believe. Uh, five years Whoa, have flown by uh, since nice. I, I came back. Uh, you know, this is my second incarnation. I was actually uh, with uh, the network from the very, very beginning uh, when uh, when Morning Air first uh, launched back in 2003. So it's it's hard to believe how, how quickly uh, a time just flies by. Oh, that's for sure. Geez, five years. I, don't, I mean, I can't even believe that that's true. But I, at the same time, it makes a lot of sense. Well, congratulations, John. Hey, thanks for being here. Well, uh, thanks. I appreciate it. And I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to our listeners. As Glenn always says, uh, the greatest uh, listeners in the world, our relevant radio family for all the support these last uh, five years. I also want to give a shout out real quick uh, to uh, Jeff Cavins, the original host of Morning Air. If it wasn't for Jeff, I wouldn't be sitting here. He's the guy who called me up one day out of the clear blue after I had lost my job uh, in the sports uh, television uh, uh, with uh, Fox Sports Net Chicago. Uh, and I was like, okay, Lord, now what do you want me to do? And he called me up and he said, how would you like to be part of this brand new Catholic radio network? And lo and behold, uh, just months later, uh, we were launching Morning Air back in, in 2003. So uh, shout out to, uh, to, to Jeff Cavins. Also, uh, Teresa Tamio was part of our original uh, Morning Air team. One day she's like, uh, uh, on the air, hey, ladies, uh, John Morales is single. And I was <laughs> single at the time. Well, my, uh, my uh, now wife was listening that day. And so she popped up at an event down at Navy Pier and it's like, hey, remember me? Because I had met her briefly. 
actually uh, months earlier, and the, the rest is history. And then fast forward, Father Rocky uh, actually uh, had a few words uh, for us in spiritual direction one day in his office at Northridge, and he looks at me and he goes, you know, John, I usually don't do this, but uh, would you just buy her a ring? So I, like, I was a little bit on the fence at the time, and uh, I bought her a ring. And about a year and a half later, he, he married us at St. Mary the Angel. So it's, it's kind of all connected. And then a number of years later, uh, about less than three years later, uh, Sheila Logminis, a, a former colleague, uh, called me up out of the clear blue and says, hey, are you guys interested in an adoption? Um, I know a, a mom who's looking for a, a family. And uh, that's another story that we've shared on the air here. And the rest is history. So you see the theme there. It's all connected. Uh, then you fast forward to 2018 on the Feast of Immaculate Conception. And uh, we're there at Mass at St. Mary the Angels. And after Mass, we say hello to Father Rock. And he's like, hey, John, I got an idea I want to run by you. Let's go out for lunch. Well, we went out for lunch. And shortly thereafter, I would be back at Relevant Radio. And so uh, there are no accidents. God has a plan. And I'm just so grateful here on this uh, five-year anniversary of uh, being back, my second incarnation, Sarah. Very good. And yeah, what I really want to know is when you went out to lunch, did you pay or did Father Rocky play or do we go Dutch on this? I think Father Rocky paid. Okay, well, that's a good meal then. Okay, we'll <laughs> Yes, I was it. a business expense <laughs> for sure. I know tomorrow is uh, a Dr. Seuss Day, big day. I know that he's one of your favorites, Sarah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Dr. Seuss, we're so happy that uh, tomorrow is his birthday, man. He would have been uh, 120 years if he was still alive. So uh, thank you for all of your hard work, Dr. Seuss. And um, yeah, here is a little uh, audio clip. We have uh, some interesting facts about him. Dr. Seuss was born in Springfield, Massachusetts on March 2nd, 1904. His real name was Theodore Seuss Geisel. When he was a child, his mother used to make up rhymes based on pie flavors to entertain him. Later in his life, Dr. Seuss would say that his love of rhyme came from his mom. Before he signed his books as Dr. Seuss, he signed a few of his books using the name Theo Lesig which is his last name, Geisel, spelled backwards. Wow. Dr. Seuss was born in Springfield, Massachusetts on March 2nd. So we're learning, learning a lot about Dr. Seuss today. And it's so interesting. What I like about that is that, hey, his mom inspired him by being silly and goofy. So that kind of gives me hope sometimes that I do the same thing. I don't think I'm as good as the, the pie flavors, but... Um, just, oh, you know, when you're trying to be silly and fun with your kids, you never know where that's going to lead. Sometimes do, do not kid right. yourself, Sarah. You are very good at being silly and goofy. Well, that's true. <laughs> Sometimes you got to lay down the law as a parent too. So you got to toe the line, but Hey, that's very cool. And he's very creative name backwards. I don't know how, if that would work for everyone's last name, but it worked very well for him. That is pretty cool. Uh, we'll talk much more about Dr. Seuss coming up uh, next hour, including our favorite books. So very good. Uh, as always, uh, thanks so much. First things first, we always begin every morning here on Morning Air in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, always remembering that every day is a blessing. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and in our families. And this morning, we're praying in a, a special way for our colleague, uh, Glenn Leverens, uh, who's off today. His uh, father-in-law, Lyle Mack, uh, is having brain surgery uh, this morning. So we are praying for a very successful surgery. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning, every show, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5.20. The Apostle St. Paul writes, So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you do nothing else uh, this Lent, go to confession. Make a sincere, truthful Lenten confession. Lent is a season for us to humble our pride and to be reconciled to God. St. Augustine called the confessional the medicine box because there is a divine physician there and we are injured and we need healing. We go in with our sins and we come out squeaky clean. Our Lord Jesus in his infinite ocean of mercy opens his arms wide to embrace us. Our sins are finite and Christ's mercy is infinite. And we always pray with great confidence from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, did you know that according to our first guest, the Bible mentions the word shepherd 43 different times? But how often do we think about people who actually tend flocks uh, these days? What does shepherding have to do with Australian uh, football in the land down under? Joining us live from uh, Queens in New York City is Father Bob Pagliari to talk about the Good Shepherd and how it relates to us during Lent and eventually Easter. Father Bob is a a redemptorist priest stationed in New York City. He teaches theology and communication courses at St. John's University in Queens and writes a monthly column for the Archdiocese of New York, as well as a bi-monthly column for the Ligorian Magazine. And of course, he is a regular contributor and guest here on Morning Air. Good morning, Father Bob. Happy March. Uh, thanks so much for joining us once again. It's great to be with you on another First Friday. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you, sir. Welcome, everybody. It's good to be here. It really, really is. It's, it's, I think March is coming in like a lamb. At least I hope so, at least here in New York, uh, maybe in your in your area, too. But th- this is an interesting thing. You know, I, I'm not a tremendous sports enthusiast, and I know nothing, frankly, about Australian football until I was researching about shepherding. And then this just kind of popped up, and I had no idea that in Australian football, they use the term shepherding uh, to, you know, to guard the ball and to guard their fellow players. And, uh, and I thought it was interesting how they do that. They stretch their arms out as if to almost mirror Christ on the cross. So this came as a real fascination to me because when I think of the good shepherd, John and Sarah, the, uh, you know, carrying the lamb on his shoulders, that's the same thing that he did with his cross. He carried the cross on his shoulders. So he carries the lamb that has been lost and put, puts it up on his shoulders. And that's us, isn't it? You know, um, He picks us up and puts us on his shoulders just as he picked up the cross, our sins. 
and put those on his shoulders. I, I think that's a good image for us during Lent uh, to think about that. And as you say, John, to a good reason to go to confession. People give me a lot of reasons why they don't go to confession, and I, I uh, try and combat that with, with some logic when I can. The first one is always, well, I'm embarrassed. And, and I always say to that, well, you know what? No one has ever died of embarrassment. So uh, get over it and get into confession, and you, you will not die, trust me. In fact, you'll come out feeling a lot better because you, number one, won't die. And if you don't go, you will die. You will die in your sins. So that's a, more of a motivation to go. And then, of course, you know, well, I, I, I don't remember the act of contrition. Well, that's fine. Tell the priest that as soon as you go in. I don't remember the act of contrition. You know what? The priest will always help you. He will always help you. Okay? That's what priests do. And, and we do that pretty well most of the time. <laughs> anyway, we, we try to, especially in confession. That's, that's really, really very, very, very important. Well, uh, Father Bob, I, I always yeah. uh, uh, feel uh, during Lent uh, that it's my job to remind uh, the folks uh, that if you do nothing else uh, during Lent, if you can make it to confession, uh, that's a good finish. That's a, a good uh, thing to do during Lent. And I know Father Rocky has said it so many times himself. So this, I think he'd be happy that we're having this confession, encouraging the folks to go to confession. Right, and kind of doing away with some of these excuses that we come up with, uh, which really don't hold an awful lot of water, frankly. You know, they, uh, the third thing I've heard from people often is, uh, well, I don't have that many sins. And then all of a sudden they come into confession and, well, you know, Father, it's my husband. And they go through a long laundry, laundry list of, of not their sins, but somebody else's sins. And then they hear the, the husband's confession, and he'll come and say, you know, Father, it's not me, it's my wife. And again, that whole laundry list, I'm thinking, you know what, why do you guys talk to each other? Because confession is supposed to be about confessing our own sins, not someone else's sins. Like, you know, it, it, it gave me an idea, John. If you think about this, and what our listeners might think about it, if you're having trouble coming up with the sins that, you, you know, you think, well, I really don't do all that much that's bad, talk to someone who loves you and who will be honest with you and ask them. Do you think I have any faults? Do you think I have any misgivings? Do you think I have? And they might tell you. And that, that might give you the entire laundry list that you can take into confession. And, you know, you have to be a little bit strong to do that. But I think it'd be a great way to prepare for confession this Lent. And we have to remember uh, that it is the good shepherd with his arms outstretched, the, the same Lord Jesus that died on the cross that is inside that confessional, working through the priest in persona Christi. So we're really not going to confession to a, a man per se. We're going to our Lord Jesus himself in that, uh, uh, as I, as I uh, mentioned, uh, St. Augustine called the confessional, the medicine box. Absolutely. And that's exactly what it is. It's really curative. You know, in this day and age, it's amazing how we run to pharmacy and pharmaceuticals whenever we're in pain, or, and we should. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that at all. But why don't we do the same thing for our soul? Why don't we run to confession when our, our soul is in pain, when, when our soul is suffering, when our soul is dying? Now, that's the one place we should be going to first. Not running away, not coming up with excuses, not saying, oh, well, you know, that I don't get anything out of it. No, your soul gets an awful lot out of it. Uh, blessings, that graces uh, to be stronger, especially in the face of temptation, and to become a better person. 
in, in terms of our relationship with God, in terms of our relationship with other people, in terms of our relationship with ourselves. Well, Father Bob, uh, you know, we were going to talk, you know, specifically about shepherding. And, uh, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit wanted us to make a, a little commentary on confession uh, this morning, which I am totally on board with. But uh, I thought, you know, talking about shepherding in Australian rules football, I thought maybe you had a special interest in Australian rules uh, football. I actually uh, met a guy who used to be a, a kicker, a punter, uh, who tried out for the Detroit Lions, and he was an odd with the Aussie accent, and he was hysterical, and the guy could really kick the ball really far. But you got to remember, those guys play without pads, so when they do shepherding, I mean, that's serious business. Right. You can really get hurt without pads. And and without a shepherd to shepherd you, you know, to, to guard you. Uh, I think the closest we come maybe is in basketball where we're you know, guarding the ball, and, and, or maybe in football, too, you know, guarding, guarding. We call it guarding. We don't call it shepherding, I don't think. Correct me if I'm right, wrong about that, John. Yes, we do not call it shepherding. <laughs> Although that's an interesting take that our friends from the land down under have. Absolutely. And it's really important for us as Catholics to think about this, you know, because we don't think about shepherds very often. Uh, we, we really don't. You know, how many of us really even remember that that's where sheep come from, or that's where goats graze, okay? Uh, but, you know, I mean, we might eat lamb chops, but we don't think about uh, the shepherd who actually guards them or feeds them or calls them. And God is this good shepherd who calls us, and he's calling us to repentance this Lent and to go to confession. In fact, during this season of Lent, uh, culminating uh, with uh, with Easter, uh, that's what we uh, need to remember: uh, Jesus as the the good shepherd with those arms outstretched, just uh, inviting us in. Absolutely, and I think that it's to me, John. That's so very very important. Good shepherd carrying the, the lamb on his his shoulders, and the good shepherd carrying the cross on his shoulders. Those same shoulders, you know. To rescue the lamb who was caught in the, in the the briars and and in the clutches of sin, and then carrying the cross, which again is the the, the crossbeam of our sins, all the way to Calvary, so that we could be saved. I, I think this is an extremely wonderful image that we can take with us into the confessional, so that we can relieve ourselves of our sins. Father Bob, how do you put into words just how much uh, our Lord Jesus Christ actually loves us and cares for us individually, personally? Absolutely. There's, there's no question about it. He loves us not only unconditionally, but because God is love. And we have to remember this, John. God doesn't have a choice. <laughs> he, can't, he can't say, well, I think I'll love this person a little bit. I think I'll love this person more. And I think I won't love this person. No, that's not true at all. Again, St. Thomas Aquinas says, uh, who, God loves everyone, including, and I hope you're sitting down for this, the devil. So because that's, God has no choice except to love. God is love, okay? Uh, now, this, this hurts the devil, by the way. The devil is, would, would love to be able to say, oh, it would be nicer for me if God hated me because then I'd have a reason to hate him back. But that's not true. God loves everyone. God loves us. And God can love us right back into the confessional and into his graces and into the arms of, of wide open arms of, of the good shepherd. Well, Father Bob, uh, you always have uh, holy homework for us every month. What's the holy homework for this month of March? Well, the month of March 
you know, contains both Lent and Easter Sunday. The last day of, of March is, uh, is, of course, Easter Sunday itself. So what I thought we might do is have three pictures that we can put up on our refrigerator this month. Uh, first of all, a picture of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, with, this, with a lamb on his shoulders. A second picture of Jesus carrying the cross on his shoulders. And the third picture of Jesus rising from the dead from the tomb. So those three pictures, every time we walk by, we can think, you know, have I gone to confession? What kind of a sheep am I? Am I listening to the word of God? Am I putting myself in God's graces? Am I going and asking for forgiveness so I can be closer to this good shepherd? Amen. We'll have to leave it right there, as always. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Father Bob. Always a joy to be with you. God love you. Thank you much. God love you. God love you, too. Uh, Father Bob Pabglieri, columnist for the goodnewsroom.org, formerly the Catholic New York, as well as a regular contributor to Morning Air. We need to take uh, a short uh, break. When we come back on the other side, attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, the director of Hispanic Engagement at American Principles Project, will discuss uh, President Biden and former President Trump's visits to the southern border yesterday and continue to talk Talk about the issue of immigration that is topping the Gallup polls from a Catholic perspective. So stay with us as Morning Air continues on this first Friday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. I can't deny it. I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for this third Sunday in Lent comes from John 2, verses 13 through 25. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, Take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of Scripture, Zeal for your house will consume me. At this the Jews answered and said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. 
Time now to take a deeper look at that gospel reading for this Sunday, the third Sunday in Lent from John 2, verses 13 through 25. We're joined by Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. Great to be here, Glenn. Not house cleaning, but even more, the cleansing of the temple is what we look at this week in a time to think about cleansing our own temple, too. That's a great theme for Lent. You know, so oftentimes during Lent, uh, we identify particular practices that maybe we want to change in our lives. Um, And sometimes we do that for a lot of reasons, whether it be self-improvement or spiritual enrichment. But I think this passage from John's Gospel really invites us to identify some of those things that have cluttered our life that really are beginning to distract us from our focus on God and our proper love of God and neighbor. And so it's a great image for us to reflect on on this third Sunday of Lent. Well, we start with John's telling of this story, and he places it in a little different light than some of the other Gospels. He does. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus cleanses the temple uh, during his final entry to Jerusalem. And so, you know, it is the event that triggers um, his arrest and trial and crucifixion. Um, That's in the synoptics. But in John's gospel, this event of Jesus is really the first work of his public ministry. It's when he goes to Jerusalem at the very beginning of his public ministry. And so it sets the stage for what Jesus will do and what he will accomplish, namely that Jesus will perfect in his very person the role of the temple. And of course, the role of the temple was to be the dwelling place of God. And Jesus will reveal that he himself is God incarnate, and that uh, in his resurrection, we become members of his body, and he begins dwelling in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that Christ is present in the world. Now, we are his temple. And all of this is a beautiful teaching that Jesus brings out in this passage. Reading the gospel in English, we get most of it, but we can go a little more in depth. We find out that the Lord was using the word temple to mean a couple different kinds of dwellings. That's true. Most of our translations will simply say temple or house when we read it. But in the Greek text, Jesus uses different words, um, or the gospel writer uses different words. And as he does so, you know, it may not just be that he's trying to use a diversified vocabulary, but it's quite possible that his use of these different terms may be trying to say something to us. You know, when it begins by saying that Jesus went up to the temple, um, John uses the actual Greek word that refers to the temple complex. And, you know, in, in the time of Jesus, Jesus, people did go to high places or designated places in order to encounter God. They went to sacred spaces for that purpose. And we do that today in many ways. You know, we we have churches because they are sacred spaces where we go to encounter God. But the danger is that we actually leave that encounter with God in those sacred spaces. And we can delude ourselves into thinking that we shouldn't bring that encounter into the rest of our lives. So that's why um, John's gospel goes on where Jesus says, you know, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And in using the word house, Jesus is referring to a dwelling place where people share a common dwelling. And so he's really referring to that ongoing communion of life that we are meant to experience every time that we leave the sacred space of our churches. But then Jesus goes on to say, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. And when he uses the word temple in that passage, he's referring to the very sanctuary 
where God himself dwelt. And so Jesus is saying that his body, which is the mystical body of the church, will be the very sanctuary of God's dwelling in the world. And that challenges us to live our lives as people who are worthy tabernacles of God's dwelling within us, because that's the great dignity of our baptism. Lent comes a bit early this year, but a good time for some spring cleaning of our own temple. Uh, Some of the obstacles, some of the sins that get in the way, some of the bad or lazy habits, but also really focusing on what we ought to be doing so it's not even cluttered with maybe too many good things. True. You know, the experience of repentance means that we turn away from sin and we turn towards God. And um, and so part of our Lenten practice is to identify those things that are holding us back from giving ourselves completely to the Lord and living in communion with God every day so that we can be that temple of God's presence that Jesus wants us to be. And that's why um, the first reading for this Sunday presents the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are really kind of a self-inventory or, you know, an examination of conscience that we can use to identify ways in which we have unhealthy attachments to sin or to other um, things that are holding us back from our um, completely living our lives in Christ. And um, so that can be a great way of identifying that. And yet, along with identifying the things that are holding us back, we also need to look at the, the practices, the virtues, um, and, and, and the spiritual um, uh, graces that, that we need to seek so that we can grow in deeper communion with God. It really is both and, but that, that image of spring cleaning is a perfect one because the Ten Commandments are kind of like the broom that we should be using to sweep out all of the, all of the, the sin and the unhealthy practices that shouldn't be a part of our lives. Things that are cleaned and straightened up are kind of a sign of things, and our Lord talks about signs in this passage as well. He does. You know, um, uh, the people were looking for signs, and uh, John's gospel speaks a lot about signs. Um, but Jesus was very cautious about sign faith. You know, signs were there to convince people. They were like God proving himself or God convincing us. Um, and, and Jesus would not entrust himself because he knew the human heart. And, and in that phrase, it really means that Jesus knew that if he, if he gave in, to people's demands for signs all the time, then basically their faith would remain shallow. Um, And rather than believing what Jesus says because he is the Word of God incarnate, and rather than receiving his, um, his presence and his teaching as an act of faith, the people would rely on Jesus proving himself, and that their faith would falter when our Lord either did not provide that proof um, or when they did not grasp that proof. And so, and so Jesus was very hesitant um, to, to reward people or reinforce people when they required signs in order to believe him. For our time, too, people that uh, prefer seeing something happen rather than just be taught about it, right? We want witnesses more than teachers, and signs kind of go along with that. One of the things, too, to ask about uh, as we wrap up this look this week, Easter a few weeks off, Easter eggs, one of the meanings is a little something we hadn't found before that might be in a, in a movie or a TV show or picture, some little treat, and Scripture might have been one of the best places for that originally. And Bishop Muggenberg, before I didn't realize this before I read your written reflection, but uh, talk, if you would, about when Jesus cleaned out the temple, he had special care even for the doves. 
<laughs> that is a wonderful detail about this passage, that Jesus overturns the tables, he uses a whip to drive the animals out, but when he comes to the dove dealers, he simply instructs them to carry them away. You know, when we imagine Jesus in this moment, we can see him um, angry, angry at the fact that they've turned the Father's house into a marketplace. And we can see Jesus being filled with this righteous zeal. The danger, of course, is that when we find ourselves um, upset, angry, or filled with righteous zeal, we can, we can act in a way that actually wounds the vulnerable in our midst. Uh, we can become a bull in a china cabinet. Jesus did not do that. The doves are, were in cages. They couldn't fly away. And so if our Lord had turned over the tables with the doves, the, the doves themselves would have been injured in their vulnerability. So Jesus took great care to ensure that his righteous zeal did not injure the most vulnerable around him. And, and that's a real instruction to us to always be sensitive to people's vulnerabilities um, and, and so that we do not cause injury to them uh, in our own efforts of zeal or um, ministries or witnesses of faith. And that can be uh, a danger when we uh, turn up the volume a little too high in certain circumstances, but uh, need to pray for the wisdom to have the right touch of the Spirit with us there. Thank you, as always. If you'd be so kind, Bishop Mungenberg, is uh, wrapping us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you, and may the blessing of Almighty God, who cleansed the temple so that it may be a worthy dwelling place of God's presence, give us the grace on this third Sunday of Lent to cleanse the temple of our own lives, so that the Lord may find in us a worthy tabernacle of his presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. And our thanks to Bishop Muggenberg and Glenn. We need to take a short pause. When we come back, you'll hear my conversation with leading Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter, uh, who talked to us about living the feminine genius as we begin Women's History Month. So stay with us. There is much more to come here on this uh, first Friday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. This is Morning In, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. It's uh, good to be with you on this first Friday and second week of Lent as we begin the month of March. Now I want to shift gears and talk about an issue that is relevant to all the women and mothers out there. It's the feminine genius. Have you ever wondered uh, if you are doing the whole womanhood thing correctly? In the words of Pope St. John Paul II, uh, he said, quote, necessary emphasis should be placed on the genius of women, not only by considering great and famous women of the past or present, but also those ordinary women who reveal the gift of their womanhood by placing themselves at the service of others in their everyday lives. For in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. What do these powerful words of Pope St. John Paul II mean for women in this day and age? And how is the feminine genius the essence of really being a woman? And what can our Blessed Mother teach us? I spoke to leading Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter uh, about living the feminine genius uh, as we begin Women's History Month. Lisa is the author of the book, Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius, available at Ascension Press. Here's my conversation with Lisa Cotter. 
Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to Morning Air for the first time. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you this morning. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us uh, um, about your inspiration for writing this book and uh, and exactly your your message. You 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 tell us exactly what what the feminine genius is all about. Yes. So the book itself was um, it sprang from an invitation from Focus about ten years ago to give a conference at their Seek conference, which is their national student conference, and they said, "Could you give a talk on authentic femininity?" And I thought, oh my, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know what that is. I'm kind of afraid of what the church says about that. What if what they say isn't what I want? And I'm like, oh no, now, now what do I do? So I wrestled with the idea a little bit, but I agreed to do it um, because I love focus that much. We were missionaries at the time. I said, okay, okay, I'll dive in. And what I found really surprised me in a beautiful way. I was actually relieved. I was excited. And so I got up, I gave that talk, and then just kind of snowballed from there. So it really sprang out of my need to understand better my femininity, what the church taught, and then realizing how beautiful the words of the church are and wanting to be able to share it with the world. And I think there's a lot of confusion really around this concept of the feminine genius because JP to himself never defined it. And so I think sometimes we think that what people have said about it, oh, that's church doctrine, when when in reality there's this isn't doctrine, this is JP two reflecting on the beauty of womanhood, reflecting on the gifts that women bring into the world. And he's asked us really to ruminate about it, to um, spend some time considering what he has said and considering our experiences to discover what it is that, that God was going after when he created two genders, male and female. And so I think the easiest way to define this feminine genius to sum it up is this idea that it's a person-oriented disposition of woman, right? So this genius has to do with the unique feminine way that women relate to humanity. And that definition, that summation, I get from Sister Prudence Allen, who's just an amazing philosopher who's written so much on gender. She's a, a philosopher of gender, and she, um, she and her book kind of defined it that way. And then from that nature that we have as women, that, that disposition that God has given us, Low these gifts. And I think that's what usually people jump to is just talking about, oh, it's the gifts of being woman, which is true. But I think we need to first understand that it's flowing from a nature in which God created us. You mentioned that there's been a little bit of confusion about what it really means, the, the feminine genius. I, I've got to believe that some women might ask the question, does it have anything to do with feminism? Yes, that's a good question. I think that, you know, John Paul II himself talked about this idea of this new feminism and this need for us to um, have a a feminism that is authentic and real and rooted in a person's worth and value and dignity. And so we have to kind of separate out radical feminism, which we see in our world today, you know, when you look on the other side of the pendulum, um, from this idea that, yes, we can support women, yes, we can say that there are gifts that need to be, um, and rights and and values, right, that need to be um, given to women. Um, But we we don't need to do it in a way that's hostile, that's angry, that's um, accusatory, but in a way that is, is true to the nature of woman and in a way that is joyful, bringing that joy in of what the church says about the gift of womanhood, because there's a complementarity, right? There's a complementarity between men and women, 
that helps, as JP2 would say, makes the world more human when it's fully and authentically lived out. I wanted to dive into some of the keys uh, from your perspective uh, to understanding the feminine genius. Yes, that's a great question. Well, JP2 called it vitally essential. So it's a pretty important thing that we bring this genius into the world. And I think one of the reasons he felt that way, the way he described it, is that women see people with their hearts. He said, you know, women more than men have a tendency, have this this innate understanding that people are people. And so the way that we approach the world, the way that we approach people is, first of all, seeing them in their worth and their value and their dignity as opposed to seeing, you know, okay, how can they be useful to me or what kind of gain can I get from them? But we see, we see them as God created them to be. And I think part of that and the key to understanding, or one of the keys, I think, is that we have this receptive nature and this maternal nature that's, you know, been written on our bodies. JP2 talked about this a lot in his um, theology of the body, this idea, you know, that women were created with this ability to receive and this ability to mother. And what's beautiful about this is that whether or not a woman ever becomes a physical mother, she has all the gifts needed to mother the world because she has this space in her to welcome somebody, to receive somebody. And so whether or not she becomes a physical mother, she is called and has this ability to mother the world in a sense, to be able to take care of the world. And so JP2 talks about how women in a unique and special way have been entrusted with humanity. And so as women, we we are able to um, humanize the world is one, one way JP2 talks about it in the way in which um, we, we go about our lives, go about our days, go about our interactions with others. Lisa, I think you are just so right about women uh, seeing people with their hearts. In fact, I think that for the men that are listening, men can learn from women and especially learn from the example of the Blessed Mother uh, about, you know, really having a good heart. I think we can learn a lot from um, from women in this regard. Yes, and that's so important. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's Pope Benedict who, who draws out when he was Cardinal Ratzinger in his um, document on um, the collaboration of men and women in the church and society, I think is what it is. It's a long title. But he talked about how these, these values, as he called them, are not exclusive to women. He said, you know, they're above all their human values. We're all called to these different gifts that we see women bringing into the world, but women are what he called the privileged sign of these gifts. So we're the ones who are called to model this to the world and to model to the men in our lives how to live these gifts. So some of the other gifts that I pulled out, and there's not an exclusive list. JP2 didn't give a list of, okay, here's the aspects of the feminine genius, right? Um, but when you read his documents, you can see some of these words kind of come to life and, and rise to the surface. And, and so some of these words, like I'm thinking of generosity, right? So, so because women are kind of the privileged sign of generosity, it doesn't mean that men aren't called to be generous. <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know, that, oh, well, the women do that, so men, you don't have to do that. No, not at all, because it's a part of the human experience. The men, too, are called to, to live these in their complementary masculine feminine way, and women get to kind of be the, uh, like the beacon, the light of what that looks like. And then vice versa, men have certain gifts that they're called to model to women, um, to how here's how we live these particular you know more masculine genius gifts although jp2 never talked about the masculine genius but we can draw from that and understand that there's a complementarity uh, side to that as well absolutely uh, women can also uh, be uh, very courageous you know some of the great uh, women in history have had tremendous courage 
Absolutely, yes. You know, I've I've been thinking about this a lot as we're watching um, what's going on in the world right now. Just the courage of the women of Ukraine and the generosity of the women of Poland. There's this beautiful picture of the, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there. There's a train station. There's all these empty strollers just sitting at the I train station. I saw it. Station I saw it. Oh, my goodness. It was it was heart-wrenching to see that image. Yes, it was. Yeah. But then to see and recognize, like, that's women who, you know, are, are taking care of the world right there, using their maternal gift. You know, these aren't children that, you know, in a way, I guess they are, but they're mothers. They're mothers taking care of mothers. Um and welcoming them, you know, and, I, and then I think of, you know, the women of World War II, you know, the strength that it took for them to be able to keep their families and the faith alive as, as many of their brothers, husbands, fathers, sons were off fighting the war. And here they were using this interior strength to hold on. As, as there was an exterior strength going on to fight the war across the ocean. It reminds me, you mentioned uh, St. Edith Stein uh, earlier, uh, Sister Benedicta. Uh, just uh, uh, amazing uh, uh, examples of women throughout the centuries, going all the way back to St. Joan of Arc. Uh, you, you name them, there's been so many great women, and probably, the not probably, without a doubt, the greatest of them all, the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Blessed Mother. That's right. Yes. Mary, um, JP2 said of her, you know, she is the example of the feminine genius. If you ever want to know, you know, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it look like? How do we live authentically? Mary is going to be our primary example. And I love that the Gospels give us so many opportunities to see her heart, to see her life, to see her gifts lived out in in so many of the stories that are highlighted, especially those infancy narratives of Luke, um, getting to see her at the wedding feast at Cana and getting to see her at the cross. There's so much we can draw from that models us, demonstrates us. Here's how to do it. Here's how we become the women that God created us to be. And uh, many of, of the great saints in our history, uh, like uh, St. Zelie Martin, St. Rita, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Joan of Arc, these are all uh, women who modeled the Blessed Mother. And uh, they had some of those traits, uh, that, which is exactly what made them great, what made them saints. That's right, yeah, yeah. And in my book, what I do is I take these different gifts. I picked out eight of them that I saw JP2 speak about frequently, and I give the gift, and then I give an example of a female saint and how she lived that strength well, how she modeled it to us. And then the next thing in the chapter is we look at, okay, so we have this great gift, but how can it go wrong? Because sometimes our greatest gifts can become our weaknesses. And then what do we do about it? How do we use that example from that, that saint, that holy woman, to show us okay, here's, here's truly what this means to live generosity or to, to live our intuition or to live our maternity or our, our fidelity, another word that JP2 draw out. And that was my conversation with Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter, the author of Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius. It's available at ascensionpress.com and also on Amazon. And now it is time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The One and the One Hundred. One day, a one-dollar bill and a one-hundred-dollar bill got folded together and began talking about their life experiences. The one-hundred-dollar bill began to brag. I've had a great life, he said. I've been to all the big hotels. Donald Trump himself used me at his casino. I've been in the wallets of Fortune 500 board members. I've flown from one end of the country to the other. I've even been in the wallet of two presidents of the United States. And once, when Princess Diana visited the U.S., She used me to buy a packet of gum. In awe, the dollar humbly responded, 
gee, nothing like that's ever happened to me, but I sure have been to church a lot. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As always, uh, our thanks uh, to Glenn, who is enjoying uh, the day off uh, today. Uh, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us to preview the upcoming State of the Union address by President Joe Biden next week. Plus, uh, Justice Wolfington, the executive producer of Cabrini the Movie, will join us to discuss uh, the film on the life of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, also known as Mother. Cabrini. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating uh, preview. Stay with us. There is much more to come on this first Friday in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app.